Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Welcome back to the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur podcast. Um, I know we, we missed the, the, the previous episode. We normally do it every other week, but I think the, the holiday unfortunately got in the way there, and we weren't able to get one here. But we're, we're back now, ready to, to get after it with another pod. And um, this week I have a, a very special guest here. We've got uh, Will from the Exploding Helicopter uh, blog podcast. Uh, um, so, yeah, Will, w- welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's a, real, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to uh, to be on your show. Yes, likewise. I've been a, a fan of, of your site for a long time, and uh, I, I really love uh, sort of your treatment of, of that 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 trope of the uh, uh, exploding helicopter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, how, how did you get into that? How did you get into to, to tracking this this, uh, this this element in in the action film for so long? Uh, well, it all happened really by accident so i was watching this is many years ago because uh, i've been running exploding helicopter for over 10 years now we celebrated our uh, 10th anniversary uh, about six months ago and so many years ago i was watching a uh, uh, DVD RoboCop uh, knockoff, which is, uh, I imagine, right in your wheelhouse, Matt, called uh, Cyborg Cop. Yes, and yes. Uh, I can't remember now, I'm afraid, passage of time, uh, whether it was Cyborg Cop 1 or Cyborg Cop 2. But I was watching it with a friend of mine and uh, a helicopter comes into into shot at, during part of that movie. And they said, oh, I bet that helicopter is about to explode. And I kind of knew exactly what they meant because, you know, having watched so many films, it's like, well, helicopters do explode an awful lot of the time. And sure enough, this uh, helicopter blew up in, in Cyborg Cop. And, and that was really the the seed uh, that was planted in my mind. And uh, a few years later, I was looking around, having to think about uh, a sort of a, a project to do. And yeah, exploding helicopters. It just sort of sat at the back of my mind. I thought, yeah, you know what? I am going to uh, spend a bit of time trying to document and prove to the world uh, that, ex- that uh, helicopters do explode in films uh, a bizarre amount of the time, and often in some very strange ways. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, one thing I have to say is I, I, I always, I always joke that kind of like the biggest trope in uh, in movie blogging is movie bloggers using the term trope. But I feel like the way your your treatment is of 
of the exploding helicopter, you've kind of made it safe for us to use that term again because I don't think it's over. It's not, you know, it, it would be that the best way. Like it's you're not overly reductive when it comes to the to the exploding helicopter. There is um, um I don't know if love is the right term to use for it, but um there you, you definitely treat it in a way where you respect the movie making or you kind of have fun with it. And I think for action film fans, that's part of it. You know, I think we, we always have fun with our action movies, um, but we don't like it when, if somebody's just like making fun of our action movies that, mm. in a way that's like, you know, your, your movies are dumb. It's almost like you, we are all having fun with this. We're all, you know, having a good time with this, which I, I really appreciate. I think your, your approach to it is just fantastic though. Sort of the, the commentary, the jokes. Um, I, I love, I love your Twitter page in particular where you find some really great ones and you can play <laughs> gifts and things like that. I think that that's the best. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that I, I absolutely love the way you approach it. Oh, thank you. I mean, and I do. Yeah, I try to retain uh, a sense of humor about this because, I mean, you know, fundamentally, uh, this is a, a rather silly thing to um, to dedicate 10 years of uh, podcasting and, and blog writing to. And, uh, you know, I I love the uh, I love the action genre. And so, uh, you know, there are very many um, silly films uh, in that particular genre, uh, but they're just really trying to uh, entertain us so i don't uh, ever hold uh, you know the silliness of a film against uh, against the, the filmmakers or against the film itself so uh, you know we're all just trying to uh, to have fun when we sit down to watch uh, an ideally 90 minute long movie Yes, exactly. We wanted to be the idea. Don't want it too much. I, <laughs> excuse me, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's like uh, there's something about the action genre that um, for people that are outside of fans of it, it, it's almost like for us as fans of the the genre, we love making fun of it to each other. We love making jokes about it. But when somebody from the outside who likes other, you know, who's more like I don't know, they're more, you know, film connoisseurs. I don't know what the best way to describe them is, but but when they make fun of our action movies, it's like okay, you know. No, no, you, you know, we, we don't, you know, we, we get we get defensive about it. And um, so I think that's what I appreciate is that the way you do it is definitely as a, a fan of action movies. And you I think um, for us action fans, I think when we when the way you treat it, um, it's a way that's like, yes, you know, he likes them, you know, the same way as we do. I think that's one of the problems with a lot of ways action movie um, tropes are dealt with. They're dealt with by people who don't just love action movies. I think that's the problem is that they, you know, you, you get some kind of clickbaity thing. Oh, mm. top 10 exploding helicopters and movies all time. And they're all these big budget ones. And it's just somebody, you know, trying to get uh, hits on their, their, you know, movie magazine website or something like that. And this is definitely not that. This is definitely, like you said, almost like a labor of love in your case. Oh yes, yeah, a definite. It's a definite labour of love because uh, sadly I'm not getting not getting paid for any of this. Right. But uh, uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I think you make a really good point there. And you know, if you watch action films, uh, you know you're going to see the same types of plot over and over again. You're going to say you're going to see the same types of architects archetypes over and over again. And so there's no point just beefing about the fact that oh it's that plot device coming up again. Uh, you know, and really what 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 I think action fans appreciate is they know they're getting the same ingredients again and again, but the joy of action films is seeing how actors, seeing how filmmakers make them fresh by changing them up a little bit, by kind of giving you a little twist or a little quirk. So you're seeing that familiar ingredient that you know and like, but you're seeing it hopefully in the good films in a way that you haven't quite seen before. And I think that's what um, I think sometimes some film fans get a bit hung up on 
the the sort of the familiar archetypes the familiar tropes and they're less appreciating yeah but you haven't seen it quite done that way before so why not just you know take the starch out of your collar and just sit back and enjoy this film a little bit more yeah yeah i think you make a really great point there because it is one of those things i i i don't know if this is a good analogy but i almost feel like a that when you see helicopters on i don't know is that the tarmac or the helipad or something mm. in, a, in an action movie they have almost like a, a bovine quality of like the, <laughs> the, you know like a documentary on cattle's going to slaughter or something like that and you're just like you know that this helicopter is going to be blown up at some point and it's sort of you know the the windscreens come with like their 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 sad eyes just kind of sitting there on the on, on, in, the, in the in the field and so you know it's going to happen happen but you're right it's almost like how are they going to do it what 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 way is this going to happen um and i think for us action fans yeah it's like we have fun with it knowing that it's going to happen and it's it's and like you said seeing some of the different ways uh, so yeah that's something i was gonna notice there um you know, why do you think, though, out of all the tropes, you know, you think of things like the damsel in distress, the car chase, um, you know, the the sidekick maybe getting killed or those kinds of things. What What is it about the exploding helicopter that makes it so prevalent in these movies? Yeah, that's a question that I've I've thought about before. And um, I think that um, it is the fact that, uh, you know, helicopters are. Uh, slightly out of the ordinary but they're not completely out of the ordinary so that you know they can be involved in um you know all different types of scenarios so they you know it could be in a big city or it could be out in the wilderness in, in you know out in some sort of mountain or desert type desert type setting and they're uh, you know so they're a little bit out of the ordinary so it's a little bit cooler to blow up uh, a helicopter than it is to you know, I know, blow up a blow up another car or blow up some other type of vehicle or building. So, you know, and usually in these types of films, you've got the the forces of uh, evil pitted against um, our, you know, our lone hero. So, you know, giving them, you know, giving them, uh, you know, superior numbers, giving them, um, you know, superior firepower and superior weaponry, i.e like some uh, like some helicopters like some aerial presence i think i think that kind of feeds into the fact that why they often crop up in these films and why they are a potential target for an explosion yeah it's a good point yeah because it's like you know we always think naturally when it comes to battle or warfare that having the high ground is the advantage and so maybe you know, our underdog hero being able to shoot something that's got the advantage mm. on him um, I mean, of course, though, we, we've seen plenty where the, 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 pl- the helicopter is still on the tarmac and, and gets blown up as well. But it, I think it's still that idea that it's like, yeah, it's something or like you said, it, it's something that can be used anywhere. Like, I think you, it's hard to have a, an airplane in a city area, exactly. especially after 9-11. Now you really don't want to have an airplane in a city area. But I think that's something where helicopter like you said it's natural to be in a city area but like you said you know um it's, it's going to be in the desert it could be anywhere and it's uh yeah so it's a kind of a, an easy thing to explode but like you said probably too um we've seen enough cars explode and it's easier to blow up a car because it's it's stationary and you can get a junker anywhere for that but a helicopter um you know like it's a little more exotic you've got to find a new way to do mm, that for sure yeah. um now what, what are some of your favorites that you've seen over time as you've been documenting these well, 
I really enjoy uh, Rambo 3 as a film, but also I think from the point of view of exploding helicopters, uh, that film's got four four chopper fireballs in and they all blow up in a a really exciting wide array of of different methods. So um, uh, so Stallone uses uh, an explosive tipped uh, arrow to blow up uh, one uh, helicopter within that film. Um, He also then um, destroys another with some really gratuitous uh, machine gun firing so he's just uh, he's just sort of behind it, this big machine gun uh, just firing round after round at this oncoming helicopter with the shell casings spinning out uh, you know it's just fantastically um, over the top piece of uh, machine gunning um, and then the the big finale of the film is the uh, tank versus uh, helicopter uh death charge uh, at the end of that uh, at the end of that particular film and that's another fantastic um, exploding helicopter so I think in terms of number in terms of uh, variety uh, I think Rambo 3 is a is an absolutely fantastic film that uh, you know if you're looking for an introduction into the world of exploding helicopters I think Rambo 3 is definitely a good a good place to start yeah yeah i agree completely i I love for me especially the explosive tipped arrow one just i thought that for an exploding (laughs) helicopter for me i think that that's that's definitely one of my favorites and and for people out there who haven't listened to your podcast like yeah my my favorite episode of your podcast is the one that you did with your friend dara on rambo 3 um that was just a a fantastic episode i think it really got to the heart of you know sort of you know all the sort of some of the action shows but just like rambo 3 is one that just seems like it has everything um and um but yeah i my that I think that that's that's up there for me with the the stone uh, the, the the stone cold one where the oh, the, hel- yeah. um, the the motorcycle uh, runs into the helicopter and blows it up. Um, yeah, think, that that is a fantastic uh, fantastic scene. Yeah, I think those two for me, the Rambo explosive tipped one and that one with the 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 motor. I mean, I I kind of that's one of my little uh, uh, niches within the the exploding helicopter. I I love when uh, another vehicle is shot at a helicopter to make it blow up. So I liked like the, the, the Die Hard movie where he used the car off yeah. a ramp and, and hit it. I, I always kind of think that's always interesting to use um, a station, you know, a, a, a terrestrial vehicle and shooting it up at the helicopter to blow it up. It's almost like a combination of the car flip with the helicopter explosion. Yeah, you must love uh, The Expendables 2, for that matter, where uh, <laughs> Stallone fires a motorbike at an airborne helicopter in order to, to blow it up. Yeah, yeah, that's a little that, that's like kind of something for me, a little a part mm. of the genre that I always enjoy is that 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 use of it. I, I mean, but I think an explosive tipped hel- uh, arrow, too, is just like um, the idea of an explosive tipped arrow, I think, is fantastic. And then, um, yeah, using it to blow. I mean, of course, once you have an explosive tipped arrow in an action film, that's the, the natural next step is you've got to blow up a helicopter with it, I think. Mm. I mean, I think also for me, what I learned as I started getting into um, this as a as a top as a topic and as a subject was that uh, not only do uh, helicopters blow up an awful lot of times not just the the quantity but also they do blow up in some very strange ways so uh you know there are there are films there's a a sort of 80s movie out there called uh, sheena queen of the jungle and uh the helicopter in that film gets blown up um, by uh by psychically controlled flamingos so the the hero sheena of that film she uses her ability to connect with uh, animals to get this flock of uh, flamingos to attack a helicopter and that's not something I ever thought I would see um, in, in a film. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, the one 
think I've noticed. I've, I think that is that the only time you've ever seen other birds used to kill a, a helicopter. I mean, in flamingos, of course, it's even another level. But uh, <laughs> other animals used to kill a helicopter or blow up a helicopter. Um, so in Jurassic World, um, right. birds are responsible for the helicopter blowing up there. So they they crash into the helicopter, causing damage, which uh, causes it to um, to uh, to blow up. Um, I mean, the helicopter, uh, there is a scene where an elephant attacks a helicopter in earlier in the film, uh, Sheena. Sadly, sadly, the helicopter doesn't blow up there. Wow. I mean, that, that that would just be <laughs> just be incredible. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, animals um, in there's a film called uh, an Indian film called uh, a tank or our tank. And in that film, a shark leaps out of the water and uh, uh, and, uh, you know, smashes into a helicopter, causing it to uh, to blow up. So, uh, you know, there is um, there is there are quite a lot of uh, animal related um, exploding helicopters. But uh, I think you're right. I think it's it's an area that um, is still still rich for a bit further exploration by filmmakers. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I know it's like um, on your your Twitter page, you've, you've posted a couple of situations where people took motorcycles, jumped through the, the <laughs> helicopter and dropped off grenades or things like that within the helicopter on their way by. And then uh, which I, I, I think I, I, I am I right that I've seen that twice? Uh, like was there a there's the um, Resident Evil movie, right, that did it. And then. Or was it a Resident Evil movie that did it with? Um... It was Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. So okay. Still right. Milovjovich, but not right. uh, not that franchise. <laughs> right. And wasn't there a Godfrey Ho movie or something like that that did it too, or something like that? Yeah, there's a a, a, a Thai or Filipino uh, set uh, action movie from 1986 called Final Score, and um, it's got Chris Mitchum, son of Robert Mitchum, in it. And uh, he leaps through a uh, airborne motorcycle, uh, an airborne helicopter on his motorcycle, um, drops off a, a grenade inside the uh, the cabin, and uh, obviously exits the other side of the helicopter. Uh, he lands safely. Helicopter blows up. So uh, yeah, it's been done. Yeah, motorcycling through a helicopter has been done uh, done a few times. Yeah, I think there must be this idea that uh, maybe again it goes to this idea of like the the helicopter having the high ground and the a, a terrestrial vehicle somehow is at a disadvantage to the helicopter and somehow um, turning the tables i guess in a way that we don't expect our hero to do it but um yeah I, it, it is absolutely amazing i think for anybody who's not following you on twitter um you know i mean the blog is especially great but the, you know those quick hitters where you're just kind of you know scrolling through and you see you know there's mila jovovich jumping through a a, a helicopter did, did she did she drop off grenades or does she like machine i can't remember in her case if it was she machine guns the pilots so that could causes that's it to right. ultimately blow up yeah that's another one it seems like is it pilots it, it's a combination of either just blowing up the, the helicopter on its own or killing the pilot and then having it sort of like you know uh, spin out of control and blow up yep those are the those are I, i'd say that that those two methods account pretty much for for most uh, exploding helicopters yeah, I think the, one of the most recent interesting ones that I saw was um I finally got to watching the two big Marvel movies there, the Infinity War and Endgame. And so I'm watching the credits and they're doing sort of after the credits, they do the whole like um, everybody's dying kind of thing. And um, I guess we're, we're watching Nick Fury call Captain Marvel or something like that. But yes, they, they, they use that technique by having the helicopter pilot be, I guess – um is it disappeared by thanos i don't know what they they called that when he he was killing everybody but mm. all of a sudden just kind of it was almost like an afterthought helicopter <laughs> like we just gotta we, we, the credits are done let's just get a helicopter explosion in here 
and it was kind of up we, in the we got we still got one more box to tick quickly <laughs> right, exactly. add, a, add another scene yeah i wonder if they like if these people who make these movies um know about the imdb tags and they're just like <laughs> you know we need to get the exploding helicopter tag on imdb so we can get our movie <laughs> in as many places or as many lists as possible I tell you what, the you know the whole business of, of marketing a movie is uh, is very cynical. So uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, I I always joke with my my blog. I remember um uh, was it um there was a, a Dolph Lundgren movie. I think it's called Army of One or the Joshua Tree. So it's got two titles. But um there's famous soap opera actor here in the United States, Kristen Alfonso. She was in the movie and her character got nude. Um, and I didn't realize until after somebody else told me that it was a, um, a body double, but I was like, well, it was really strange. I wasn't expecting her to be nude in the movie because she's a kind of a big soap opera star. That's kind of a big deal. Um, that ended up being my most popular Dolph post because anybody who typed in Kristen Alfonso nude <laughs> found, uh, found the page. So it's interesting, like the ways that people, you know, that people come to people's sites and things like that. And I do wonder if like, you know, obviously with a Marvel movie, with disney's advertising budget you wonder if you know they're just like you got to get an exploding helicopter in there some way so we can get that on the 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 thing but um i mean they, they probably didn't get all of the different ones I, I i think one movie i saw had an imdb tag for policewoman shot in the face um <laughs> it's like I, so, so people get really esoteric with those tags so maybe you, you know you get too too deep into it but that was one that i, I remember somebody mentioning that's far too down the uh, rabbit hole, even for me. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right. Well, why don't we get uh, chatting about our, our film here, Red Scorpion, um, which is a 1988, uh, I guess, political propaganda film um that was um the brainchild of Jack Abramoff, which I'm not sure if you know Jack Abramoff here in the United States. I uh, didn't I was unaware of him until I started uh, doing a bit of background uh, reading on this film. So, yeah, I'm uh, I am now aware of his uh, very colorful and checkered uh, life and career. Yes, exactly. So so that's kind of the backdrop, I guess, of which which this film uh, uh, uh you know, which this film was made. And it was something that my friends and I didn't realize either. I think we were watching it. We we're like, boy, this seems like very anti-Soviet propaganda, which, you know, we know, especially now with, with some of the things that Putin has done, of course, you know, in England, for sure, you know, with the, the, the Russian nationals that were poisoned there in England on British soil. Like mm. we know that, you know, the, he's using old Soviet KGB techniques with, with a lot of the things he's doing. So it's not like they didn't deserve to be a baddie in a movie, but uh, <laughs> we, we kind of know where the, the filmmakers were coming from and the way that they made them this sort of monolithic, you know, evil empire kind of baddie here in, 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 in Red Scorpion. Well, well I mean, in, 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 fair, in fairness, Matt, probably worth mentioning that, I mean, you know, America absolutely did not, uh, you know, prop up any uh, unsavory regime at all during the no. 1980s <laughs> no not a bit no we were their, their hands were completely clean and, and, certainly, <laughs> and, and certainly also their their record in africa was very very clean and, and you know, spotless and there was no uh propping up bad regimes there there was no other yes nothing bad happened there at all america was the all america did was send um you know uh, uh cursing Slight, you know, doughy uh, reporters, <laughs> anti-Soviet reporters into there to try to help out resistance movements. But in terms of the other stuff, no, we didn't really do any of that kind of thing. Not at all. No. It, it's funny, too, because 
it almost is a bit of a playbook too. When you when you watch the movie, a, a, um, and I, you know Abramoff wrote the movie, um, and then it was directed by Joe Zito, who did some real fantastic ones. Um, you know, Mission, Missing in Action. Um, he did uh, uh, Invasion USA. But a, a lot of his movies, other than like Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, a lot of his movies are sort of like these rah rah America propagandist type movies it just seems that they they tend to be done better than this one they're a little more exciting as well um but um it, it you know when you think of like some of the things that the u.s did in vietnam um you know like the agent orange thing and in this movie the russians are raining some kind of like blue rain that poisons people on them um you know some of the the blowing up sounds and things like that you know blowing up villages that they think are involved with the the viet cong it's almost like abramoff went into the the catalog of all the things that that the us did in in vietnam that were 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 really bad and just plastered them onto the Russians, which I guess is a kind of a classic thing to do, right? You, you, you deflect what you've done bad and you project it onto somebody else. That's sort of like a classic uh, technique, right? We see uh, Donald Trump and, you know, as a president, he does that a lot, you know, like, uh, you know, like, oh, Hillary's a criminal, not me, that kind of thing. So it was a kind of interesting to watch it from that perspective. Yeah, it's a really um, sort of interesting film to uh, to watch from that uh, perspective of uh, of Cold War propaganda because uh, I mean this was really this film made obviously in the sort of last few years of uh, of the Cold War so um, really the sort of this is the sort of last gasp of those kind of wave of films where you have um, which are are able to set themselves against that type of um, backdrop and be really quite sort of black and white in their in their morality so this is a uh, i think an interesting um, sort of historical artifact um uh, as much as it is uh, as as much as it is an action film yeah yeah and it's interesting because I, I you know I, when i got into to college and started you know studying political science and sociology and whatnot um i learned that one of the things that propped up the soviet regime in the 80s was actually reagan's anti-soviet rhetoric you know calling the soviet union the evil empire and all of that stuff which is you know he he was using that he was ginning up that fear to win elections and to kind of you know get get him you know get his agenda across uh but from the soviet union the people that were kind of like okay you know we're, we're running out of money here we're you know the Afghan war just completely wiped us out here. Um, you know let's let's kind of be done with this whole thing and start trying something new. Um, the the old hard line were actually propped up by Reagan's um, you know his his thing. And of course <laughs> I don't know if you realize that the America the United States the the popular myth is that Reagan ended communism that he was the one who de defeated the Soviet Union and he was the one that <laughs> that took it all down. So it's kind of funny like you know while Reagan was supposed to be the one who took down. Soviet communism. Here's you know this guy Abramoff who would have been a big Reaganite making a movie in '88 when Reagan was out of office, saying how bad the Russians still were. So um, yeah, you can almost kind of go back and sort of see how how um, how, how the myth can be created uh, even even then. Well, I think uh, from my little bit of research, I saw that, uh, you know, Abramoff was um, actually um, uh, part of Citizens for America, which was a big pro uh, Reaganite. Uh, so I think, you know, I certainly think that that whole, um, you know, I, it's just it's just really interesting that here essentially is a guy, the producer of this film, Jack uh, Abramoff, who uh, essentially is a political lobbyist. Um, yeah. But he's got these, um, you know, uh, he's got this particular sort of anti-communist um agenda and just i guess i, I mean, maybe it's still possible today just decides you know what 
I'm going to make a, a movie to espouse these uh, espouse these views and politics. And and somehow he's able to to get it off the ground, get this film made and uh, yeah, and, and put forward his uh, put forward his agenda. I just, uh, you know, he, he didn't. It's not like uh, it's not like Abramov had a big um, Hollywood career or anything. He essentially right. only made only made this film and Red Scorpion, too. So I just I mean, it, it's a real <laughs> it's, it's it's really bizarre that there was this moment in history where uh, you could, um, you know, you could uh, have these views and segue out of the world of political lobbying into the world of Hollywood and, you know, make a film and then go back to back to your day job in the world of, uh, you know, think tanks and, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. Right. Well, well, because it shows you how lucrative a career uh, political lobbying is. <laughs> it was able to. I mean, I mean, we, of course, we know, too, that he was partially funded by the, pro, you know, the apartheid. Uh, South African government that was trying to sort of get the word out there that apartheid wasn't so bad, which of course at that time we 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 all at '88 for sure we all kind of were like, no, apartheid is that bad. We all know how bad it is. Um, so that was part of it too. I mean, I, I don't know what would be the equivalent today if he was funded. I mean, maybe by the the Russian government or you know some another government that you know the the Saudi government perhaps if they were making mm. a movie and um, having a, you know it actually would be perfect for the Saudi government to have like a an MM at Walshian type journalist character in a movie you know um that's like a, a you know, kind of their their kind of propaganda movie to show like oh yeah we, we don't have a problem with journalists we don't we don't kill them in our embassies or anything like that so um yeah i mean that's kind of the equivalent i mean and then you know abramov of course not you know i think he realized that with the movie making things i don't think this movie made that much that um yes he can get the money to make a movie but it doesn't it's not as lucrative i guess as as being a, a lobbyist and um yeah he uh, ultimately went to jail for uh bilking um, uh, Native American tribes here in the United States that were trying to get casinos built. Because um, for a long time, that was the way that casinos were made in the United States, was that they weren't in Las Vegas or Atlantic City, New Jersey. They had to be on tribal lands. Um, and so yeah. you know, that led to people like Abramoff to go in there and try to bilk a lot of, of communities out of money. Um, and so, yeah, he went to jail for that. And now he's a lobbyist again because in America, you know, it's a, it's a <laughs> land of opportunity, land of forgiveness. And so, yeah, you could do something like that and then just show right back up. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the more surprising um, details. Uh, you, you'd, you'd think what he did would would end um, most careers. But uh, yeah, apparently you can just um, sign a declaration. Yeah, I did this stuff. Yeah, went to jail and go right back to uh, to doing uh, the day job. But um, I mean, just just sort of, uh, you know, pulling it back to the, the, the film a little bit more. I mean, uh, obviously, we've got this um, Cold War um, backdrop to this film. And um, but I think one thing that about Red Scorpion, which is really interesting as a film, is actually the African setting that we that we've already sort of spoken about, because most Cold War thrillers, most Cold War action films, I mean, typically have um, a European or Eastern European backdrop. Uh, you do get some where sort of South uh, South American backdrop. Um, but, you know, there's very few that actually have um, Africa um, as that particular backdrop. And it's not because it wasn't um, uh, an, an arena in which the Cold War played out. It absolutely it absolutely was. But um, for one reason or another, um, there aren't t terribly many films which use that as a as a setting. And um, I think that really uh, makes um, Red Scorpion um, stand out a little bit above the, uh, many of the action films which, you know, sort of came out of uh, this particular sort of period and came out of this particular time in political history 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And of course, you know, we, we've kind of found out that part of that reason was that um, he was being funded by, by South Africa at that time. And that was uh, part of why they, they said it there. I think they were able to to do that more affordably. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you there that like, you know, especially um, Latin America seems to be the best place to play out that that kind of interplay between, um, you know, Soviet interests and uh, American interests, because that's, that's literally, you know, it, it happens so much there. Um, I think for American audiences, the you know doing it in in, in Asia brings back images of of, of Vietnam. Um, but um, <laughs> excuse me, I, I think the funny thing is by doing it in Africa, it did show I think just a kind of also a lack of um, awareness of of America's history there, and so making it seem like the Russians are the exploitative ones and America is the benevolent <laughs> the, you know saviors. And um, you know to to be honest, actually the Russians use the, our history in Africa as a way to you know, gain inroads when they're trying to gain influence in, you know, um, emerging African nations. China does the same thing. You know, they're like, we're not America. We didn't do all these things to you. And also Europe. They also use that, against, you know, against you know, European nations as well. But um, so it, it is I think that that might be part of the reason why they don't set those movies here. But, you know, because of the history. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, I agree with you there that it, it made for a unique uh, setup where you had, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, it definitely made it unique, especially for an 80s movie um, compared to where the rest of them are set. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of other sort of aspects which, because um, I had watched this film before, but I mean, it was a long time ago that, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah. that I'd last seen it. And so on this rewatch, I was, it felt in many ways as if I was um, uh, sort of rediscover, you know, coming to this film uh, new. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting about this film was the fact that actually the hero of the film um, starts out as the villain. And I thought that that made for a really um, interesting um, arc for Dolph Lundgren's character. So in this film, um, he's um, a Spetsnaz soldier who is given a mission to um, basically um, infiltrate um, this uh, the the kind of the the rebel group within this African country um, to um, get close to its leader and then murder him because they think that that will basically undermine the um, the rebel um, activities and so that's sort of Dolph's mission that he starts off in this film but obviously it, that doesn't go according to plan and during the course of the film he has this. Um, conversion and com comes to see that um, actually the Soviets are not trying to um, free this country from oppression. They actually are the oppressors themselves. And so, you know, Dolph's character has this particular uh, particular journey where he starts as the villain um, and then becomes the hero later on in the film. And uh, again, I thought that that made that was much more interesting than many of these other films you know say for instance rambo 3 which i think you can make a lot of parallels between Ram, Ram, uh, red scorpion and rambo 3 um uh, where you know stallone's the hero at the start of that film and he's the the hero um at the end of that particular film and um you know i think that the the arc that dolph has here is uh, is another thing which makes um red scorpion um stand out um and and a, and a more interesting film than um, might appear if you're just looking at the uh sort of the the cover art and just watching the uh, the trailer on youtube yeah yeah i think there was a message in there that it, it's not you know that I guess maybe it was this idea that not all Soviets are bad and that if we could just show them, you know, um, and I guess it wasn't so much showing them freedom in this case. It was really showing them the human side of the uh, 
of, of the, the the local people, mm-hmm. um, you know, and of course, you know, being stuck with needles in a torture scene also didn't, um, you know, that, 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 that didn't that didn't help his loyalty to his, his, his you know, the, the Soviet Union at that time. Um, but um, but I, I think there was a sense that like, yeah, if you just sort of spread American freedom and, and what what's great about America everybody will come on board eventually if they're just exposed to it, or if the, the right people are exposed to it. Um, and I think you're, you're, you're right that it, by having that in the movie, it, it made for an interesting dynamic where, yeah, you wouldn't have that in a movie with like Rambo or something like that, where he's already American. He's already, you know, the freedom loving guy. And so we don't need to convert him at all. He just needs to get out there and blow things up with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with explosive tipped arrows. Um, whereas, yeah, there, there had to be some, and, and, and it's interesting too, because when you're watching Dolph when he's infiltrating the the baddies um there's a sense you 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 know you know he's infiltrating them but the way it played out you 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 know I mean he's killing his own people while he's supposed to be this this um this infiltrating guy and so you kind of wonder like how much is he really you know does he really Mm. feel this you know how much is if he's killing his own people um to, to to continue this ruse um you know like how how you know it, it, made, it was an interesting thing, and I almost felt like he was going to turn even before that, but then, of course, he doesn't. He tries to mm. go and, and kill the leader. Um, but, but yeah, and then I guess the, maybe that's why the, the – I guess there were, the, 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 the interesting thing is that we had Soviets and we had Cubans there. Um, yes, and I think that that was – I think the filmmakers must have been aware of that problem, which you're describing there, about, yeah. you know, if, with Dolph having to kill people from his own side. So, um, you know, in the film – he kills, um, you know, the, the, in the film, the Russians are fighting alongside um, Cubans and I think also some Czechs as well. Um, yeah, I, so. I think I, that's certainly referenced. And um, the, peop- the the soldiers that he kills are not, in, you know, during the first part of the film are, I'm pretty sure, just Cubans or Czechs. He's not actually yeah. killing any Russians. And I think that was the film's way of trying to navigate that difficulty um, but I, I agree that that was a little bit of a that was a little bit of a weakness. But, um, you know, I mean, we're not watching a film here for, for gritty, <laughs> gritty for similitude. <laughs> so I, right. I, I kind of gave it a pass on that, really. Well, well that and, and now that you mentioned it, you know, from Abramoff's standpoint, that actually is a good point for him to make that, you know, doesn't matter who you are with Russia. You could be Cuba. You could be, you know, um, Eastern Bloc country. Uh, you could be North Korea. It doesn't matter who you are with Russia or Soviet Union they only care about themselves and they will kill mm-hmm. anybody to get their own aims you know they'll they'll so you know for them Cuba, it doesn't matter if you're Cuban you know whatever um yeah that that kind of message which again you know America didn't do anything like that when they were you know, like during the Cold War it, just, it was just the Soviet Union that did those kinds of things so yeah so absolutely um now now you know what were your thoughts you know how, how did you feel about this as an action film overall did you feel like this one worked or um was, was long or anything like that well, I, I thought this film actually worked. And I think on this rewatch, I have to say that Red Scorpion has gone up in my uh, appreciation a bit more. Um, I think it's got some really um, solid um, action sequences. There's some there's a there's a, a, a great there's some great um, uh, the escape from the prison um, at the beginning of the film. I think that's um, really well done. That's really well staged. And there's um, some, you know, some decent action um, along the way. Um, there's a sort of a raid by Soviet forces on um, a rebel um, village, which um, comes along because um, it's been about 
15 minutes since we last had an action scene so that that was well, that was strategically placed in the film just to sort of pep up everyone's uh, everyone's yeah. interest and then obviously the the end of the film is uh, I, I think that's where things really kick up a gear and um the i really enjoyed the the sequences there there's some really great stuff as part of that um sequence so we get to see um you know dolph flexing his muscles lifting up this uh lifting up this vehicle which has got a kind of a crucial um anti-tank gun on so that um he can get that back on the road so that it can blow up this tank um and then uh, as was seemed to be the case for a sort of particular period in the 80s there's a there's a special machine gun that uh, <laughs> that our hero gets to use and uh, sure enough Dolph gets to use that um, at the climax of this particular movie so yeah i thought the action here was 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 very good um i don't you know it i don't think it's uh, it's not one i would hold up as like the best example of, of 80s action um but uh, i certainly think what you get here is really um is really very good quality and you know there's certainly enough action here to, i think to to sort of satisfy i think most action fans yeah yeah you know it's interesting you mentioned that because i i had this up i recently did that that list of my favorite Dolph movies on uh letterbox and this one came in at 48 of the i guess uh the i don't know how many i've Ooh. seen like 70 or something so like that but um it was it, it came in at 48 so it was like i had it as like the best of the ones i didn't like um and I think I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to move it up necessarily, but I, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think, uh, I think Joseph Zito as an action director, you know, he's, he was one of the best in the eighties at the time. He just didn't do as many as kind of like, you know, Mark L. Lester and, um, mm. you know, some of the other ones, some of the other big heavy hitters, uh, at that time, Sidney J. Fury, um, is it, J- I don't know if it's, I don't know if I, maybe I shouldn't give him a middle initial if I don't remember exactly. What it, it is, it is Sidney J. Fury. It is J. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think Joseph Zito, you know, he had some big ones at that time, um, you know, for Canon films in particular. Um, so I think you're right. I think he, he makes the, for, for, a, uh, you know, what, it really, you know, wasn't as big as some of those other ones. He he definitely makes the ex- action stand out like that. Uh, one of the things that really hurt the movie for me was M.M. at Walsh's character. I mean, it was just he just annoyed me a lot. Like you talked about with that escape scene, <laughs> that escape scene was so fantastic. But then it's like I've got him there, and and I mean, I, I love Little Richard. I'm a huge Little Richard fan, so the music was great. But it's like you know, just like I, 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 there were a few times where I just like wanted him out of there. I mean, I, I almost feel like like Dolph's character felt the same way about M.M. at Walsh. His character because there's that scene where they're in the prison right and and he he knows he's got to make his escape with them so he can win over mm. this uh, second in command to the the rebel leader um and he sits there and watches mm at walsh's character get burned with a cigar by brian james and you know he he, he, he knows he's got to make his move and that would have been the perfect time to make his move nobody's paying attention they're all watching <laughs> brian james do that but you almost feel like he wanted to make sure that, that happened you know, so that was something that I I think that one and I think for my friends and I we had trouble with that. I mean, there's one scene in in, in the movie where they're all back at the village and they're all having a fun time, and M. M. Walsh is doing something with a donkey in the background, and I just felt like that was perfect. You know, that there, there's the, the the two jackasses kind of there together. It was almost like a, you know, almost like that. Um, you know, I, I and I don't know that I necessarily took it personally as an American that the only American in the film was being portrayed that way by by M. M. Walsh, but it was a it was kind of joke. It was always it was a very M. M. Walshian character, and um, I think you know when you think of tropes, the 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 sort of annoying sidekick kind of character like that um, is one that I mean there were a couple. There's a scene where Dolph had a gun trained on him, and I was like, come on, Dolph, just 
you know, take us out of our misery when I knew he wasn't going. To. I knew there there's plenty more MM at Walsh to come. Um, so that I think diminished it a bit for me. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, it, it, you know, like the gun thing you talked about. It's like how many movies have we seen where they 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 show the gun at the beginning of the movie. And we know that at some point, and of course, like he finds it. What is it? It's like on a display case or something like that. Yeah. When he it. Yeah. And um. And of course, that that great scene where he it, it, does he use that gun or is it, it, it? That's the gun he uses right to blow off the guy's hand who's holding the grenade. It is. Yes. Yeah. Which was a, a fantastic scene. So, I mean, you, you definitely get really great Joseph Zito kind of action in this, and I, I definitely appreciated that. I, I don't. I, I I may move it up on the list a bit, you know, on the second viewing. I think I think what ended up standing out to me when I thought about this movie was was Emmett Walsh. I think he kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, and seeing it again, I think, and and of course having so many like 2000s and and, and 2010s action movies to compare it to now it's like oh wow you know i look at that and it's like this is actually really well done um it's really you know the the action is a, a lot of you know um practical effects as opposed mm. to cgi and that kind yeah. of thing of course they wouldn't have had back then anyway but um i think i have a better appreciated appreciation for it now than i did then well i mean i'm i'm very taken by your strong feelings for mm uh, <laughs> walsh i mean uh Matt, wow i mean <laughs> Can't wait for Dolph to uh, to put you uh, and Emma Walsh out of it, out of your out of your collective misery. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna have to make a bit of a defence here for Emma Walsh because I I actually um, really enjoyed him in this film because uh, I do agree he's giving a very typically Emma Walsh performance. Right. Um, you know, which is that's almost uh, a movie trope in itself, just a Emma <laughs> Walsh cameo. Um, and so he plays this uh, yeah garrulous, foul-mouthed um, you know journalist who's a bit of a schlub um but he kind of brings an energy which really um i felt sort of peps up um some of these scenes so you know i i you you, you talk about that that sort of you know for the, at the beginning section of the film you've got um this sort of trio that have sort of fallen together of uh, mm walsh dolph and the kind of second in command um uh, kalunda the second in command of the the rebel forces they kind of form a little uh, informal trio um at the start of this this movie and so you know dolph is this sort of glowering um you know um not saying very much sort of um spetsnaz soldier um you know kalunda is the sort of rebel um leader and i think he starts the film uh you know he's he's not um you know he he's he's quite a sort of reserved contained character so if you just had those two on their own it, it could be a bit of a damp squib and so i think that mm walsh kind of acts as a as a you know he helps pep up he that that particular sort of triangle of of relationships with his um slightly sort of um manic over the top um energy and you know whacking on the uh you know whenever he gets a bit quiet in the uh in the cab of the of the truck that they've stolen you know he he's obviously whacking on the uh, little richard just to kind of you know cover yeah. over the silences yeah well, i like that i like the little richard uh, yeah i think he's, he's he's almost i know this this movie isn't really uh quixotic or is that really a don quixote kind of thing but he's almost kind of like our sancho panza in that sense right that he's <laughs> he's providing the the comic relief to you know the stuff that yeah that we're not you know um it's like yeah i definitely i, I can definitely understand i think i i would have maybe liked to you know uh, maybe a different kind of character who did that kind of thing maybe but, but i definitely see what you mean there that like yeah he he you know he he made that and i guess 
for me, I think that also kind of made those scenes a little bit more draggy because it was just M.M. at Walsh, you know, talking about like, yeah. oh, we swear because we're in America. We've got freedom <laughs> of speech here, which, yeah, anybody who lives in America knows that it's not entirely, you know, it's probably more so than, than Russia. But, you know, you, you know, there, it's not always perfect. You know, I, I, if I if I started swearing in a store, people would look at me funny, like, what, what are you doing? You know, why, why are you talking like that in here? Um, maybe not in South Philadelphia, actually. They, they people, they hear, hear, hear. It's more like the opposite, where I'm like, oh, man, that person's swearing. They must be really angry. And it's like, no, they're just having a friendly conversation with a cashier. So, um, so yeah, it's a little different. Um, what, did you, uh, what did you make of uh, Brian James in this film? Because I know, you know, from, uh, from uh, being a longtime reader of your uh, blog, he's somebody who crops up in many of the films um, that yeah. you review. I mean, what did you make of uh, what we got of him here? Yeah, I well, it, it, there wasn't a lot of him. Um, I do think yeah, yes, that was again, the shame, really, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of common with him is that you don't see him a lot, which is un, unfortunate. But um, you know, for the Brian James, I mean, I like the bad Russian accent. You know, he, he definitely you know went went full for that. Um, you know, it was I I, I mean I I I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more like him versus Dolph kind of thing yeah, or something definitely. like that. Um, I think that was one of the problems with this was that you didn't, you know, he, 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 he did have one confrontation with that with the Cuban leader who I believe was in, in um, Red Dawn, I think, as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he played the leader in Red. I mean, I mean, this movie has a lot of similarities to Red Dawn in the, in the propaganda aspect of it, um, the anti-Soviet propaganda part. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think my favorite part, of course, was that he, you know, when he gives it to M.M. Walsh um, and I don't wish cigar burning on anybody um and but it was it was kind of like the perfect kind for me where it was all done off screen you know i don't need to see it um but i could be like yeah you know and, it, and of course it had no effect on mm at walsh at all i mean he's like running around there's no blood coming through his shirt after he's just dumping it jumping into a water you know in, in a river later so i don't think it really affected mm at walsh that much either i think it was just sort of like um you know you wonder how much it really even did it i mean i wonder if he even like, burned him with the cigar or if maybe he just kind of like pulled at some of his chest hairs or something you know we just didn't know what happened there but um, but yeah i think brian james you know i think he was in this um as a name um it's kind of funny because it's and brian james i don't know if his agent wanted to be the last one make sure he was last listed on here um but it's funny that he was they made sure he was the last listed but yeah yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think I would have liked to have seen more of him. I mean, when I think of some of his great ones, I mean, I think um, it was Virtual Assassin where he, with um, or, or Cyberjack with with Michael Dudikoff, where he plays a villain who um, um, back when we didn't know what computer viruses were, so we thought they were real viruses, and he gets infected with a computer virus, and you know, his hair is all green and everything. But that, that, that is sort of like the standard of the best Brian James. This was really far from that, unfortunately. Yeah, I I would agree with you. It's it's we just we don't get a lot of him in this particular film. And yeah, as you say, it would have been brilliant if um, he and Dolph could have had a confrontation in here. Um, his accent is completely. I've literally no idea what he was um, attempting to do. Whether I mean, I'm assuming he was going for Russian, but it sounds more South African than anything else. Um, very bizarre. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I think not enough uh, Brian James. No, no. Um, now, 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 what did you think of the exploding helicopter in this movie? Um, what, what were your thoughts sort of how 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 it played out and and sort of as you know it, in terms of it exploding helicopters you know as a whole? Well, I really enjoyed the uh, the exploding helicopter in this uh, in this uh, film. Um, it uh, takes place um, at the end of the film. It's part of the, the part of the movie's climax and. 
that's um, generally where I prefer to see my um, exploding helicopters. I mean, I'll, I'll take them everywhere and anywhere. But uh, if you're going to give me a choice, I like to see it as an integral part of the film's uh, film's climax here. And there are some details here that I thought were really quite um, cool. If you've watched a lot of exploding helicopters like myself. So, um, you know, we see Dolph, um, you know, this helicopter is just about to make its getaway. It's just taking off. And Dolph fires his uh, special machine gun at the, uh, the helicopter, which brings it um, back down towards um the the ground and then um he opens fire on the uh the cockpit of the uh, helicopter and blows out the entire cockpit um so the rest of the sort of helicopter is still at that point still intact but the whole sort of front um all the windows all of the sort of the seat area has been completely blown out which um was something i've not seen before i thought that was really um that was really cool and then uh, then we get a little bit of a uh, backwards and forwards between uh, dolph and the uh, the main russian um, villain before um you know dolph then finally uh gives it another once over with his machine gun and then blows it up. But uh, yeah, nice, nice practical um, effect um, fireball that we see. Um, I was thoroughly satisfied by the exploding helicopter action we got in this film. Yeah, yeah, and I like that technique. Um, I think um, another Dolph movie, Skin Trade, used a, a similar technique, but not as great of an initial explosion where the helicopter is disabled and then you have the the, the confrontation with the baddie and then you officially blow it up. Um, and I, I, I liked it here that it was a, a, like you said, it was a really nice explosion. And I kind of thought that was in, in a way though, you know, when I first saw that first explosion, I was like, Oh, oh is that it? Is that all I'm getting? It's just the, the front of the, the, the helicopter being blown up. I want to see the whole thing go up, you know? Um, but luckily they were kind of like, you know, it was one of those things where they're like, you know, hold your horses, just stick with us here for a little bit. And, and, um, and then, like you said, we got that, that final confrontation. Then he just, it, 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 I, one thing I, I always love too, when you think of another movie trope, it's almost like they combined a couple here, um, mm. was the the trope of the the good guy turning his back on the baddie, the baddie lifting his gun to shoot him, and the hero <laughs> knowing that he's going to do that and turning around and getting that that final justice. Um, and and I, I think you, you couldn't have had it better. I think this was definitely for Joseph Zito, you know, a guy who who does you know did really great action in the eighties. I think he he. It, it, he made it. He he definitely did what we wanted him to do. This was, you know, if I if I wanted Joseph Zito to do a helicopter explosion, um, I, I like you said, I wasn't disappointed with this. This was definitely a good one. Yeah, for sure. And I think that little moment that you talk about, where you know the baddie sort of, you know, the hero turns his back and then the baddie sort of decides to lift the gun. I, I you know, I I think that's just, you know, it's a nice little, uh, you know. I, I guess it adds a moment of sort of tension in the sense of it gives the the villain like okay they're making an active choice now right. to like they've got a chance to walk away from this situation yeah. you know to they've got an opportunity to um, you know reflect on um you know the the Soviet Union's um you know uh, occupation and practices in in a <laughs> in a developing African country he's got he's got that opportunity to reflect on what he's done with his life um but he <laughs> he decides no I'm going to shoot Dolph Lundgren in the back which is generally really not a wise thing to try and do no no and i think that might be one reason why helicopters blow up in movies more than than airplanes because helicopters it's like the baddie i mean yes the the, the pilot is not necessarily active as the way that the bat you know the henchman shooting out of the helicopter or something like that would be um but i guess you know maybe you make that that point that if you're a, a baddie helicopter driver you're just as complicit in all of this um <laughs> but you know if it's like a plane of bad guys 
that gets blown up. Well, everybody who's just kind of sitting in their 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 seats, you know, listening to music or reading a book or whatever, they're not, you know, they're they're kind of innocent in that point, right? Where it's like, you know, like like if if Dolph reading the just, in-flight magazine, you know, exactly, exactly, watching a movie or something, you know, they're innocent, like they're 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 helpless, they're defenseless, and heroes killing defenseless people. That's what's that's what the baddies are supposed to do. And I I think you're right that um you know. And, and I think maybe that's a, something that's gone away a little bit too. Now, now heroes do just kind of kill baddies in cold blood. But you know, like you said, like you, you know, the movie wants it to be like this guy. You know, Dolph is not completely evil. He's only going yeah. to kill somebody who's trying to kill him. Yeah. And so this guy is incapacitated. He's talked to him. He's said what he he said his piece. Um, like you said, giving the guy a chance to reflect on what's happening. And his choice was to try to pull a gun on Dolph and. You know, you get what you deserve there, and you know, and, and and of course we get what we want, right? We get the the payoff that we were looking for without having to feel guilty about it that Dolph was killing this baddie in cold blood. Which I don't know how much we would have felt that. I mean, this guy did enough bad things that you know, if he'd but but I guess there's that that idea that no matter what bad things that guy does, it it it's not good for the hero to kill him in cold blood. Definitely, definitely not. Um, now, one other thing I noticed about this, and I don't know if you caught this as well when you're watching the movie, um, I, I marked down at least four different times when this helicopter appears uh, in the movie, um, and not even like appear, not even like doing anything, but like just sort of, you know, flies, and they make a point of showing us. I think I had like the 37 minute, 59 mm-hmm. minute, you know, hour 15. It, it definitely was a lot of foreshadowing that, you know, if <laughs> if this explosion didn't wasn't good, I think it would have been a huge disappointment that, you know, they they built this up a little bit. Um, did you see that as well? And is this something that you've seen before where they build up the the future helicopter explosion? Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed how the, um, the these Mill Hind 24 helicopter, which is the, the one we, we see, um, you know, in this movie, it's, you know, as you said, it's repeatedly be built up in this film as sort of the, 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 the Russians main weapon of right. oppression. And, it, you know, we see it appearing ominously, you know, at different points in the, in the movie. There's a great moment where um, there are some. Uh, like uh, I think Russian soldiers up on a on a ridge line, and then um, the the helicopter just sort of comes up from behind the ridge line at a particular moment to just show how um, uh, how dominant the the sort of Russian soldiers uh, you know position is at that uh, uh, position is at that particular moment. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed how the uh, the sort of the helicopter was kind of foreshadowed in this movie, and then obviously we get the payoff at the end. But uh, yeah, you do get. Um, uh, we we sort of uh, call it uh, over exploding helicopter. We call it sort of Chekhov's chopper, where the uh, the helicopter uh, explosion is um, foreshadowed um, earlier in the film. And I think my favourite example of um, Chekhov's chopper is in um, the uh, uh, the uh, Da Vinci Code um, sort of uh, sequel, um, Angels and Demons, with uh, Tom Hanks, where you've got um, Ewan McGregor as a kind of um, uh, sort of uh, temporary pope and for absolutely no reason you know so he's there and he's he's kind of you know classic I don't know what they call the robes you know he's dressed up like a like a you know a pre you'd expect a priest in the Vatican to be dressed up and for no earthly reason whatsoever he he sort of announces oh yes I used to be a pilot in the uh, British <laughs> army flying helicopters <laughs> which obviously comes um oddly um it comes back to play a very important plot point um at the end at the end of the movie so i think that's the most um uh, egregious example i think of uh of uh you know foreshadowing i've seen in a, in a 
in a explaining helicopter film so far to date. Oh, that is amazing. I love, I always love that kind of uh, plot convenience theater type thing, right? Where it's like, you know, oh, by the way, I can do this. You, you need somebody who can do this? Oh, by the way, I just have to be able to. You know, I think my favorite is whenever in a movie when there's a woman whose dad was in the army, suddenly they're a master of weaponry and they can do, they can, you know, oh, how did you learn to use that weapon? Well, my dad was a general in the army, you know, it's like, what, what is that? You know, I mean, I, but yeah, it's always that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's just sort of, oh, by the way, I can do this. You know, it's like a plot convenience theater. It kind of like the same was like, you know, the, the character's trying to escape something and, oh, there just happens to be a rope there for them to climb up. It's like, you know, somebody just happens to be a master of something that they need them to be a master of. And um, yeah, that's, that's always kind of funny, that sort of by the way uh, approach to it. And I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the, at the top of this, at the top of this show, which is, you know, you could be you could be irritated by that type of um, plotting. Right. But, you know, I, 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 you know, I can't I can't help but be amused by it. And I, I think, you know, for me, it's part of the charm of these movies is the occasional, uh, you know, plot contrivance like that. Yeah, I think that's I agree with you. I think it's it's part of what makes these action movies fun is that, you know, you need people shooting, you need people blowing things up and they just happen to do it. And, and it, or, you know, however you can get things blown up, that's fine with us. We'll, we'll take it. And like you said, it's more fun sometimes when it's when it's done in, in a ridiculous way like that. Oh, perfect. Well, Will, I think we're, we're about to wrap up here. Um, did you want to let everybody know um, sort of where they can find you on social media and whatnot? Yeah, sure. So if you're interested in uh, checking out uh, our blog where we've got loads of uh, reviews of uh, films uh, with exploding helicopters in, got load of ton of information on there about um, how, where, why helicopters explode in movies. So go to um, explodinghelicopter.com. You can find us on Twitter. I'm very active there. So uh, yeah, come and say hello. I'm, I'm at Chopper Fireball uh, on Twitter. And then we're on um, Facebook, Instagram, tumblr letterbox we're in loads of different places so if you just just search for exploding helicopter you will find us yeah oh, and, ever... and don't forget to check out the podcast as well yes exactly <laughs> I was gonna say, the podcast is fantastic especially i think that the first one to check out is that rambo 3 one that was my favorite one of yours but i mean they're all really great um i love the one you did on t-force um that was you know for for our pm entertainment fans out there was a great one um, um actually another good bookend for this one would be Amerigan. that was uh um, oh yeah <laughs> and of course i was on the one with a, a codename wild geese which also i think was a, a another great uh helicopter explosion a little bit different than this one here for sure it was a, a little bit, but also a, a helicopter that was part of the plot, which I think is always interesting in these movies. Always good to see helicopters, uh, you know, play a prominent role in any film. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for us, again, you can find us on um, the blog, uh, dtvconnoisseur.blogspot.com. Um, we're on, you know, as you know, Twitter, Facebook, um, Letterboxd, the whole nine yards. Um, come check us out and we're happy to help out. Well, thank you again, Will, for being on. It was a great time. And um, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime for sure. Absolute pleasure, Matt. Thanks for uh, having you on. All right. Thank you very much. And everybody, have a great one.
hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.